1: The Bruce Hooley Show podcast is brought to you by HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Creating jobs and restoring dignity one cup at a time. Good coffee doing good. Learn more at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. I'm still reeling from the story of uh, Horace Mann Preparatory Academy in the Bronx, New York. <laughs> Kids after the first of the year, when they return to school, can and will be suspended for two days without access to remote learning if they do not wear their mask appropriately. If it slips beneath the nose, no warning, uh, you're suspended. Uh, wow, that's um, that's amazing. That's amazing. And the end of the email is, uh, I mean... I'll read it again just in case you're going, no, nah, that can't be real. It's real. It's real. Here's how the email concluded. At Horace Mann, <laughs> mask noncompliance for students is intentional noncompliance. There are no accidental masks slipping below the, the noses. No, no, it's not, not accidental. That's purposeful. At Horace Mann, mask noncompliance for students is intentional noncompliance. There are no students at Horace Mann approved not to wear or struggling to understand or appreciate the need to consistently wear one's mask over their mouth and nose. In almost every instance, non-compliant students already know who they are. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, okay, so, well, hey Bruce, COVID's out of control in New York, right? I mean, they're still putting people in body bags, and it's awful. All the hospitals are overwhelmed. Is that how the situation currently uh, stands in New York? Uh, not according to Michael Daly. He's the head of one of the major hospital groups in New York. And he was on CNN. And I think, is it John Barr, the guy on CNN, who uh, does their morning show? At any rate, I don't think this is what he was counting on. <laughs> I don't think this is what he was counting on. When they brought Michael Dowling on to tell about how dire the situation is, COVID-wise, in New York City.
0: Yeah, we're doing very, very well. Uh, very manageable. There's no crisis. Um so let me just give you a little bit of perspective. Uh, we have right now about 460 patients in our hospitals. That's less than 10 percent of our overall capacity. And this time last year, during the second wave, uh, we had almost a thousand cases. This time last year, and compared to where we were back in the first wave, we had 3,500 patients in our hospitals. So mm. when you look at the numbers today they're relatively modest, and that have been increasing you know, relatively slowly since, since Thanksgiving. We do expect an increase now over the holidays, but it is all manageable. Um, we will be able to deal with this, and I think it's time for people to get – be a little bit calm, a uh, you know, little bit more rational, and uh, while the positivity rate in the community is increasing dramatically. That does not mean that they automatically convert into hospitalizations.
1: Mm. Well,
0: that guy's never getting asked, uh, asked back on CNN. Uh, he just
1: blew his CNN medical expert career. Here in Columbus, of course, they are uh talking about how full the hospitals are and how desperate they are and all. And I I I'm sure that there's a certain degree of desperation with it. But there's always going to be a certain degree of desperation with COVID and with everything if you refuse to accept the good news, and it is good news that this variant is less of a threat to your life. How is that not good news? That is good news. Like, I think the number one objective of any disease is, I I would prefer not to die from this disease. Yesterday, we had our first recorded death. With Omicron. Not from Omicron. A guy in his 50s in Houston, Texas, who was immunocompromised, died. They say it's Omicron. We've got to take their word for it. I got a buddy in Houston who's in his 50s. Uh, He's not immunocompromised. I know he's not vaccinated. But it almost feels like they're rooting for deaths from Omicron because it would reinforce the narrative that, again, you guys need to do exactly what we're telling you. And every answer Rochelle Walensky gave Brett Bear the other night, she's like it's on a loop in her head. Vaccines, boosters, masks, vaccines, boosters, masks, vaccines, boosters, masks. They're trying to get that to become an earworm with you, that you'll trust their view, trust the science. And they always say, these methods work. We know they work. They're proven to work. Okay, well, if they're proven to work, riddle me this, Batman. Yesterday, Joe Ingalls, who's been a guest on this show, uh, Joe is with the State House News Bureau. Joe tweeted yesterday about 8 in the morning. She tweeted this Ohio is reporting 12,502 confirmed and probable new cases. During the past 24 hours, that's the highest one day number since the beginning of the pandemic. Okay, good reporting by Joe Ingalls. My question is, if that's true, I have no doubt that it is. She's very good at what she does. How is it also true that we know vaccines work, we know boosters work and we know masks work and we know shutdowns work? How is that also true? I don't dispute her number, 12,502 confirmed and probable new cases during the past 24 hours. Highest one-day number since the beginning of the pandemic. Okay, fine. If that's true, it's true. I take her word. How is it also true that the mask mandates work and that the vaccines work and that the boosters work? And you should get a vaccine and you should get a booster. And if you haven't gotten a booster, you should get a booster or you should get a second booster. I am not an advocate of saying that two things can't be true at once, but some things can't both be true at the same time. And that is one instance where those two things cannot both be true at the same time. You cannot have a record number of cases and tell me that the things you have done and that a a majority of Ohioans have done getting vaccinated. Both of those things cannot be true. They just cannot be. Uh Here's something that is true. Our tickets to TSO are gone. The Lucky Five grabbed those tickets. Good for you. And our tickets to Zoo Lights are also gone. Wild Lights at the Columbus Zoo presented by AEP Ohio. They're all gone. Hope you all have a Merry Christmas. Uh, If you work at Rite Aid, my guess is your Christmas is a little bit impacted by the fact that Rite Aid says it is going to close 60 Three of its stores nationwide to save about twenty-five million dollars a year. Rite Aid, I think, is a clear number three to uh, CVS and Walgreens. There's seemingly a drugstore on every corner. But as these stores close, Rite Aid has closed approximately twenty-five hundred stores in nineteen states. No, excuse me, they have twenty. They have twenty-five hundred stores in nineteen states. So closing 63 of them is not a huge amount of their footprint, only about 2%. Nevertheless, CVS says they're going to close 900 stores over the next three years. Where do you think these stores are going to close? They're going to close in the lowest producing areas, right? I don't know if those stores will be in minority neighborhoods. You could make a case yes, you could make a case no. The case for yes would be uh, people in minority neighborhoods have less money to spend. People in depressed neighborhoods, I shouldn't say minority neighborhoods, people in depressed neighborhoods, they have less money to spend. If they had more money to spend, the neighborhood wouldn't be depressed. It would have more commerce, wealth would spread throughout the community, be a better community. So it's, a, it's an issue of poverty anytime you have a depressed area of any city. So you could say that the stores are not going to be very profitable in those areas because people there have less money to spend. Or you could say stores might be doing okay because those are not the kinds of neighborhoods where Walgreen, uh, excuse me, where Walmart and Target are going to locate because of the poverty issues. So therefore, people in those areas, unless they want to take a, you know, lo- unless they want to take a bus, aren't going to go to a Walmart, aren't going to go to a Target, and they probably are going to patronize the store the drugstore on the corner, because that's a store within walking distance. I don't know which it is, but I I do know this. If these stores close in depressed neighborhoods, then down the road we will get stories about how it's unfair that these neighborhoods don't have stores. And it may be inconvenient that those neighborhoods do not have stores, but it's not unfair. The reason it's not unfair is because stores exist To make a profit. Any store that doesn't make a profit over time. Is a store that's going to go out of business. And any conglomerate of stores. Is going to. Close the stores. That are. Either the least profitable. Or not profitable. So if you ever hear that it's. Racist or discriminatory. That there are not stores in certain neighborhoods. That's a case where. Two things can be true at once, but in that instance, those two things are not true at once. It, it could be true that you could have a bad CEO who says, I want you to close all the stores in depressed neighborhoods because I don't like those people. You could theoretically have a CEO like that. But unless that is proven, the reason why these stores would be closing, if they do in fact close in these depressed neighborhoods, would be because they're not profitable. And have you ever driven through a depressed neighborhood? Have you ever seen storefronts boarded up? If the storefronts are boarded up, that business went out of business. And the business went out of business for one of two reasons. It went out of business because it wasn't profitable or because it was looted and burned down during a riot and they didn't have insurance to rebuild. So there are a lot of times that developers say, we're going to go in and revitalize a neighborhood. You're not going to revitalize the neighborhood long term. Unless the people in the neighborhood have jobs, have money, and can spend money, so we'll see whether uh, I would be, I would be a little bit concerned about the viability of Rite Aid, given the expansion of CVS and the expansion of Walgreens over the years, and also given the the fact that a lot of people are used to getting their prescriptions now online from grocery stores, from big box stores. Maybe the phenomenon of the corner drugstore in the neighborhood will become one of those things of the past. Maybe it had a function at a certain time in our history, given the prevailing economic conditions, and that time might be passing. Remember when there were video stores all over neighborhoods? How many blockbusters have you been to lately? They did pretty well for a while. Now they don't exist. Because any movie you could go get at Blockbuster, you can now go to YouTube and get it and watch it on your phone or watch it on your tablet or watch it on your laptop or watch it on your desktop. So market conditions change. The viability of businesses within those market conditions change. You hear it explained away a lot of times as if discrimination plays into the end of a certain business or the closure of a certain business in a certain neighborhood. And it really doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do with a changing economy and businesses that either do adapt or don't adapt to that changing economy. The thrust of what the president said yesterday, the thrust of what he continues to say about COVID, the thrust of what Rochelle Walensky, Anthony Fauci, the recently gone but not gone soon enough uh, head of the NIH, Francis Collins. The gist of all their comments about COVID are predicated upon what I believe is clearly demonstrated a disdain for the common American, a disdain for your ability to think for yourself, a disdain for really your level of intelligence. How dare you doubt me? I have a big degree. I am an elite. I know what's best for you. See, compassion from the conservative perspective is to come alongside and enable someone to raise themselves to a higher level because we know that that is the only way that that improvement in lifestyle is self-sustaining. The person has to learn how to do it themselves in order to continue to do it for themselves. You can't hold someone's hand the entire time. One of my sponsors here... Sponsor of the podcast is Hemisphere Coffee Roasters, HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. They're located in Mechanicsburg. Paul Kurtz, the head of Hemisphere, used to be a missionary, and he had altruistic motives for being a missionary. He would go into foreign countries, he would go into impoverished communities, and he would do things with other ministry teams for those people in those communities. And then they would leave, as missionaries are wont to do. They would come back and they would find that everything they had done for the people had either deteriorated or had crashed and no longer was in the condition that it was when the missionaries did it for the people in the beginning. And Paul Kurtz is a smart guy. His compassion did not vanish, he did not get disgusted with the people that he administered to. He realized that in order for his purposes to be accomplished, his desire to help people to be accomplished, the people had to be taught how to do it for themselves. And that's how Hemisphere com was born. He was like, you know, I love coffee. I know coffee. The people here can grow coffee, and it's good coffee. If I buy their coffee, I wonder if the money that then gets injected into their local community will filter from the coffee guy to the guy who sells milk and from the guy who sells milk to the guy who sells meat and from the guy who sells meat to whatever other enterprise they needed in that community. And he found out, yeah, it does. So Paul Kurtz had enough compassion for somebody to try something different. But the people who lead our agencies and lead our government They don't want to rethink their paradigm in how to serve other people. They want to tell you what to do, and you better do it. And if you don't do it, you're stupid. You're not intelligent. Or as Joe Biden said a few weeks ago, I'm losing patience with you because you won't get vaccinated and you won't get boosted. And this disdain was in evidence in the aftermath of Joe Manchin, senator from West Virginia, saying he could not vote for Joe Biden's Build Back Better plan because it would exacerbate inflation and it would not serve the people who elected him to the Senate in West Virginia. And I didn't want Bette Midler's tweet about this to go by without commenting on it because it demonstrates the lack of respect that the elite have for the intelligence of the average American. Bette Midler tweeted, What Joe Manchin, who represents a population smaller than Brooklyn, note, You're insignificant to me. You're people, but you're not as many people as I'm around in Brooklyn or in New York City who go to my Broadway shows, so you're insignificant to me, Joe Manchin, and the people you represent are insignificant to me. What Joe Manchin, who represents a population smaller than Brooklyn, has done to the rest of America, which wants to move forward, not backward, like his state, so she says, the state of West Virginia doesn't want to move forward. It wants to move backward. Why? Because they're backward idiotic, stupid hicks in West Virginia in the mind of Bette Midler. He sold us out, she tweets. He wants us all to be just like his state, West Virginia, poor, illiterate, and strung out. That is her opinion of people in the state of West Virginia. And then, of course, she was roundly criticized for this. And so she apologized. Oh, the apology is rich. She said, I apologize to the good people of West Virginia for my last outburst. I'm just seeing red. Joe Manchin and his whole family are a criminal enterprise. A criminal enterprise? It's criminal to factor in the wishes of your electorate in representing them in Washington? Yet she supports Joe Biden, father of Hunter Biden. She sees no criminal enterprise there. She asks of Joe Manchin, is he really the best West Virginia has to offer its own citizens? Surely there's someone there who has the state's interest at heart, not his own. How did Joe Manchin profit from turning down Build Back Better? Did it help him with the Democratic Party? I don't think so. He said, well, yeah, Bruce, it helped him get reelected. Well, that's kind of like what every single politician strives to do. And the best way to do it is to do what the people who elected you to your position want you to do. Rather than doing what you want to do, which conflicts with what they want you to do. Bette Midler, an elite who hates you.